0: In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David.
1: you will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest
0: heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. You'll notice a theme or a through-line pretty quickly to what we're up to tonight. We are beholding our King. We are looking for room. We are seeing more clearly or noticing the world differently thanks to Jesus. A few weeks ago, Lester Holt shared a story on the NBC Nightly News that had me thinking about Christmas And what I knew that we would be up to tonight, celebrating that Jesus was born in the flesh so that the world could see and so that the world could feel and so that the world could experience the power of God in a way that they had never been able or invited or allowed to do before. Here's the little bit from the nightly news. And finally tonight, one man's mission to make great art more inclusive Priscilla Thompson explains.
1: It was late in the evening, the wind was blowing, the stars were starting to come out. It's a painting you've probably seen before, but never like this. The little church, the little village down here Van Gogh's The Starry Night, Da Vinci's Mona Lisa, the world's most iconic works of art reimagined for the blind and visually impaired. Most artists would not be very happy if I were touching their work, but you don't mind. No, no, it's meant to be touched. Tomas Bustos and his wife Jacinta came up with the idea after seeing the Mona Lisa at the Louvre more than a decade ago. Back home in Dallas, Tomas drew the Mona Lisa to scale, sculpted it in clay, and cast it in bronze. I feel like I'm working right next to the original artist. I can see his brush strokes. I can see his idea coming to life months of painstaking work, all for a moment like this.
0: Beautiful smile.
1: There's the embroidery. I didn't see that the first time. For Blake Lindsay, who has been blind since he was an infant, and Keila Alonzo, who lost her sight at 12, the experience opened up a whole new world. Describe what it was like experiencing Tomasa's Mona Lisa. It was amazing, because I never knew what she looked like.
0: We see through our fingertips. And so it was really revealing. And I really like that ball.
1: Both Blake and Keela are also students in Tomas' sculpture class at Envision. You're going to put it on the palm of your hand. I want you to smash it like this. A nonprofit aimed at creating opportunities for the blind. It just makes me feel good about myself. Lessons in art and in life built to stand the test of time. Priscilla Thompson, NBC News, Dallas.
0: Thanks for watching. Stay updated about breaking news and top stories. For my money, this artist Tomas Bustos does for people who can't see the beauty of visual artwork, something like what God did and does at Christmas for anyone looking for the divine in the world and in their lives. They bend the rules, God and Tomas. They do the unexpected. They go out of their way to let their work be seen by those who have a hard time doing that. They bring beauty and love to life so that it can be seen in new ways that matter for whoever's looking and sometimes for those who never thought they'd have the chance to see any of it. The gift of Christmas... What theologians call the incarnation, the revelation of God in this person, Jesus from Nazareth, is about God reimagining everything we think we know or ever thought to look for in our quest for understanding what makes God, God, and why that changes everything for us and for the world when we finally see it. What I mean is, until Jesus showed up, God was off limits, relatively speaking. God was around, God was present, God was active in the world, don't get me wrong. But in Jesus, God came close in a new and different way. As scripture tells it, before Jesus, in the story of creation, for example, God was like a spirit of some sort that moved over the face of the waters, in Scripture, before Jesus in the Garden of Eden, God was like the sound of the evening breeze. Before Jesus, God was a burning bush. Before Jesus, God was a pillar of clouds or a pillar of fire. Before Jesus, God was the untouchable ark of the covenant. Before Jesus, God was like the sound of sheer silence, whatever the heck that means. And Jesus, though, at Christmas, God got even more creative than all of that. Pillars of clouds, burning bushes, and evening breezes, I mean. Like Tomas Bustos, the artist in that news story, God opened up a whole new world for the world as we know it. What once? seemed unknowable and off-limits and untouchable, had shown up, had been born precisely to be touched, to be felt, to be embraced and understood differently altogether in Jesus. Think of the sick woman who touched the hem of Jesus' cloak as though maybe she were running her fingers along the embroidered bodice of Mona Lisa's dress, and she was healed because of it. Or the other, who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair, like maybe she was seeing the Mona Lisa's smile for the very first time. Or that disciple whom Jesus loved so much, they reclined against one another, at the Last Supper, like maybe they were resting under Van Gogh's starry night sky in a way they never could have appreciated before. In Jesus, the beauty and peace and hope and presence of God was no longer out of reach. God wasn't to be kept in a frame on the wall or behind a curtain in the holy of holies, or safe and secure from the trials and troubles of life as he knew it, and as we do too. And while that's all good news, great news, really, it's nothing many of you haven't heard me say in one way or another many times before, especially on Christmas Eve. So I thought I should dig a little deeper kick this up a notch and go back further into scripture again this time around. Because way back in the Hebrew scriptures, in the book of Genesis, there's a story about Hagar, a poor young girl who was enslaved and forced to carry and then to bear the child of her enslavers, Abram and Sarai. When they couldn't conceive a child of their own, because as the story goes, their eye was barren. When Hagar became pregnant, she fled out of fear and contempt for her master and for her mistress, and she had a run-in then with God somewhere out in the middle of the desert, and God told her, "You have conceived and shall bear a son, and you shall call him." Does this sound familiar? you have conceived and you shall bear a son and you shall call him Ishmael for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And the cool thing about this story, why it came to mind to me for tonight is that Hagar, this poor, lowly, enslaved young girl, With about as much status, credibility, and value in her day as the desert sand between her feet. Is known for being the first person in all of scripture to have had the nerve to give God a name. Something you just did not do way back when. You didn't get too close. You didn't touch him. And you certainly didn't say his name out loud either. And the name Hagar gave to God, the God who met her in her darkest hour of deepest need, was Elroy. And Elroy, according to smarter people than me, means the the God who sees me. The God who sees me? The God who sees me? The God who sees me. So just as I always imagine and celebrate and give thanks that Christmas is about God coming to live and move and breathe among us so that we might see God differently in the flesh for a change. Hagar and Jesus remind me that God sees us differently too. That God shows up even and especially in our darkest, most desperate hours some of the time and God sees in us something the rest of the world and maybe even we ourselves deny or refuse to look at. Like where the world sees a worthless slave girl, God sees a bold, brave, beautiful force for and source of life. Where the world sees a Republican or a Democrat or an L or a G or a T or a B or a Q. Where the world sees an Israeli or a Palestinian. Where the world sees a Ukrainian or a Russian. Where the world sees a Jew or a Muslim or a Christian or a nun. Jesus sees a child of God. Where the world sees a sinner, God sees forgiveness. Where the world sees war, God sees the possibility for peace. Where the world sees despair, God sees hope. Where the world sees death, God sees new life. Where the world sees a grudge, God sees grace upon grace upon grace. And where we and the world look at ourselves and each other and see too often only the worst thing we've ever done, Jesus sees instead the beloved children we were created to be, the beloved children we always are in the eyes of our maker. And in seeing all of it, God in Jesus gives up his life so that we would know what love looks like, and so that we might live differently on this side of heaven in response to that deep, abiding, everlasting gift. So, Merry Christmas. In the name of the God who came. So that we might see love in all of its fullness and in new ways every day. And so we might come to believe that we are seen, each of us, in our joy and in our sorrow, in our grief and in our gladness, by the fullness of that love just the same, just in time perhaps, and just because we're worth it always, always, always in the eyes of our Creator. Amen.